Hello and welcome. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'll be reviewing the October market commentary provided by David M. Darst, Chief Investment Officer with Americana Partners. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. The first section I will be covering is called Where We Are. Please note that any charts or graphics referenced are available by request through our website. Let's begin. Just as the British Romantic poet John Keats, 1795-1821, superbly captured the juxtaposition of autumn's season of mists and mellow fruitfulness while barred clouds bloom the soft dying day. So too have equity and bond prices managed to recover from their constructive and somewhat overdue September slump in somewhat of a zigzag pattern, marked by episodes of sunny optimism and chilly concern, as illustrated in the chart provided in the original commentary. An additional chart provided in the original commentary depicts the average month-by-month return of the S&P 500 over the 35 years from 1985 through 2019, shows that recent weeks' equity price behavior has not been all that unusual when viewed within a seasonal context. Stock prices have frequently been driven by shifting perceptions of the potential decisiveness and divisiveness of electoral results and various electoral outcomes, asset price implications for fiscal stimulus relief, taxation, and governmental spending priorities. Back and forth asset price movements have often alternated day to day, and not infrequently on an intraday basis as well. The following sections review the principal, constructive, and worrisome factors and developments affecting financial asset prices. Constructive factors and developments. In addition to the Federal Reserve's expressed intention to keep policy interest rates low for the foreseeable future on the positive side of the ledger have been, one, decent reports for September private sector jobs growth, positive 877,000, even as government payrolls fell, negative 216,000, with a decline in the overall unemployment rate to 7.9% versus 8.4% in August and 14.7% in April. Two, a rise in retail sales, positive 1.9% month over month, compared to positive 0.5% in August, positive 1.2% in July, and positive 7.5% in June. Three, Expansionary readings in the New York and Philadelphia Federal Reserve District's manufacturing surveys and in durable goods orders. 4. Sustained pricing and volume strength in the housing sector. Bolstered by a record low 2.81% 30-year Freddie Mac mortgage interest rate. 5. After rising, positive 3.1% in June, positive 2% in July, and positive 1.2% in August, the September leading economic indicators increased positive 0.7%. 6. Buoyant September readings above the 50 level indicating expansion for the indices of the ISM manufacturing 55.4 and ISM services 57.8. 7. Significant improvements in securities analysts S&P 500 earnings revisions breadth 
with analysts' bottom-up consensus estimates as of October 16th calling for S&P 500 year-over-year earnings to decline negative 17.1% in third quarter 2020 and negative 11.8% in fourth quarter 2020, followed by projected year-over-year earnings growth of positive 14.1% in first quarter 2021 and positive 44.6% in second quarter 2021. Corporate, CEOs, and CFOs' revenue and profit guidance comments on their third quarter 2020 earnings calls, currently taking place in October and November, represent an important influence on the near-term path of securities prices. 8. Encouraging readouts for consumer confidence, 101.8 in September, and the Small Business Optimism Index, 104 in September, a record high rating. 9. Expectations for a sharp growth rebound of about positive 33% in annualized third quarter 2020 GDP, followed by a more modest about positive 5% in annualized fourth quarter 2020 GDP, after the negative 5% annualized decline in first quarter 2020 GDP and a negative 31.4% annualized decline in second quarter 2020 GDP. 10. Reflecting a broadening out in the post-September stock market rise, the S&P 500 in the first half of October experienced what technical analysts describe as a breath thrust, which is a 10-day interval featuring a minimum 2-to-1 ratio of advancing stocks over declining stocks, indicative of significant buying pressure for equities, recognizing that past performance does not guarantee future results. In the 29 times that the breath thrust has occurred since 1990, the S&P 500 has been higher 12 months later, 96% of the time, with an average price gain of positive 13%. 11. Hurricane-related shutdowns in the energy sector and some discussion of reduced OPEC production have imparted a modestly firmer tone to oil and natural gas prices. Now let's discuss worrisome factors and developments. Entering the fourth quarter of what has turned out to be a turbulent and tumultuous year, among the disquieting developments for investors to contend with include, one, in recent weeks, COVID-19 infections have risen meaningfully in the U.S. and in Europe. Two, despite ongoing negotiations, as of October 20th, Congress and the White House were unable to agree on a new stimulus package, with declining perceived probabilities of a comprehensive deal being reached before Election Day. 3. With many states responding to higher rates of new coronavirus infections by lifting restrictions on business activity more slowly than at mid-year, and with significant portions of the travel, lodging, live entertainment, indoor dining, and other in-person business sectors still closed, applications for unemployment insurance remain elevated, with between 800,000 and 900,000 new filings each week for more than a month. 4. A total of 10.7 million individuals remain unemployed, compared to 23 million unemployed persons in April 2020 and 6.5 million unemployed persons in January. 5. After declining negative 4.4% in May, negative 1.1% in June, and expanding positive 0.5% in July, as federal economic recovery payments slowed, personal income declined negative 2.7% in August. 6. By several metrics, S&P 500 valuations are extended. The forward price earnings ratio is 21.5 times, 1.6 standard deviations above the 25-year average of 16.5 times, 
and at 15.2 times, the S&P 500's price-to-cash flow measure is 2.3 standard deviations above its 25-year average reading. 6.2% of all listed stocks versus 6.6% in March 2000 at the top of the dot-com bubble currently trade at more than 10 times sales, where it should be kept in mind if such a company manages to earn what would be considered a very high net profit margin of 20%, its price-earnings ratio is an extremely expensive 50 times, and the total value of U.S. equities has risen from 60% of GDP in 1990 to 120% in 1996 and now 180%, which is equal to 36 trillion total equity market capitalization divided by a 20 trillion U.S. GDP, a ratio even surpassing the 139% ratio experienced by Japan at the very height of its 1980s super bubble. 7. Evidence abounds of investor optimism and broadening exuberance, including significant call options buying, surging zero-commission trading in speculative stocks with low share prices, a year-over-year doubling in the percentage of total trading volume to 20%, accounted for by individual investors, elevated cloud computing, electric vehicle, e-commerce, and other sectors' initial public offering activity, with the average one-day gain for U.S. IPOs positive 23.7%, compared to positive 12.8% in 2019 and positive 13.4% in 2018, proliferating popular usage of app-based trading platforms frequently offering complex financial products and trading schemes, and the rapid embrace of special-purpose acquisition companies, essentially blank-check acquisition vehicles often funded before the ultimate use of the offering proceeds is known. According to Refinitiv, through the end of September, these so-called SPACs representing 50% of the total year-to-date 2020 IPO volume account for more than the aggregate SPAC capital raised over the last 10 years. 8. In mid-September, as shown in the charts provided in the original commentary, a record high 25.8% of the S&P 500's total market capitalization was represented by the top five stocks, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, and Facebook compared to 17.8% for Microsoft, Cisco, General Electric, Intel, and ExxonMobil at the speculative peak of the dot-com bubble in late 1999-early 2000. A similar record high, 29.2%, of the S&P 500 total market capitalization was represented by the top 10 stocks versus 27% at the 1999-2000 speculative peak. 9. Intermediate and long-term U.S. Treasury interest rates appear to have broken out of their narrow trading range and have been trending upward, with 10-year yields rising from 0.66% on September 1st to 0.81% on October 20th, and 30-year yields increasing from 1.38% to 1.6% over the same time interval, and 10. A significant degree of acrimonious uncertainty continues to characterize the evolution of the U.S.-China relationship, not to mention the course and the results of the U.S. election. Now let's discuss the three C's. The following sections explore three factors, all beginning with the letter C, with the potential to exert considerable influence on financial asset prices. 1. COVID-19 and vaccine development. 2. Competition in the political realm. 3. 
China and its relationship with the U.S., COVID-19 and vaccine development, still holding the number one position for the most coronavirus cases, 8.52 million, and the most deaths of any country over 226,000 as of October 20th, in what appears to be a third peak, the United States has witnessed new record high numbers of cases in more than 20 states, many in the Midwest and Mountain West. October 14th marked the eighth day that newly confirmed cases nationally exceeded 50,000, up from a daily average of 41,000 over the six weeks from mid-August through the end of September. With the approaching flu season and increased risks of worsening conditions in winter months, public health officials have cited compliance fatigue as a contributing factor to the recent increase in infections and have continued to emphasize concerted use of such measures as enhanced testing, widespread mask wearing, and social distancing. Surpassing the United States in cases per capita, Europe has experienced 1 million new coronavirus cases in the middle 10 days of October, raising the total since the start of the pandemic to 7 million cases for the 53 European countries that are members of the World Health Organization, France, Russia, Italy, the Netherlands, Britain, the Czech Republic, and several other countries have instituted new countrywide restrictions and limited the number of people at bars, restaurants, and parties. Following increased use of anticoagulants, steroids, and other medications, more appropriate ventilation of patients, improved treatment protocols, and increasingly efficient use of hospitals and medical personnel, COVID-19 mortality rates have exhibited a significant decline relative to coronavirus infections. The recently published and somewhat disputed Great Barrington Declaration, authored by an infectious disease experts and endorsed by more than 5,000 medical scientists and health practitioners, makes the case that individuals should be allowed to live normally while protecting the vulnerable, an approach known as focused protection, in an attempt to build up what is known as herd immunity. Herd immunity, the resistance to the spread of a contagious disease within a population, occurs when a sufficiently high proportion of individuals within that population has become immune to the disease, often through immunization. With a rising awareness of and backlash against the societal burden and collateral damage, including lower childhood vaccination rates, worsening cardiovascular disease outcomes, fewer cancer screenings, and deteriorating mental health, from government restrictions on schools, sports, businesses, and civil liberties. Some substantial segment of public opinion appears to be in favor of protecting the elderly and high-risk individuals through frequent testing, contact tracing, and isolation used to spot and contain any outbreaks, while with appropriate precautions and protocols reopening restaurants, businesses, schools, and colleges. The recognition that society has not yet been able to achieve herd immunity, even to the common cold virus, and without definitive knowledge of how long immunity to coronavirus infection lasts, and whether reinfection is possible, has reinforced the urgency and critical importance of developing an effective vaccine. Building on round-the-clock research and billions of dollars of governmental investment, a working coronavirus vaccine may slow the pandemic that, as of October 20th, has led to more than 1.12 million deaths worldwide. It is currently estimated that by the spring or summer 2021, a number of vaccines, starting perhaps with the less complex coronavirus protein-producing ones, possibly followed later by vector vaccines or messenger RNA vaccines, may provide some degree of protection. 
with vaccine authorization determined by the FDA's 50% efficacy criterion for approval, distribution priority is likely to follow the guidelines of the Center for Disease Control and Prevention's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices and Focus in order on healthcare workers, essential service workers, high-risk individuals, people over age 65, and then the general population. According to officials at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Operation Warp Speed is on track to have up to 700 million doses of various vaccines available, having passed safety, manufacturing, and distribution requirements sometime around the middle of the first half of 2021. Anticipation of and actual news relating to lessened governmental restrictions and the availability of efficacious vaccines should benefit sectors, including many small and mid-cap companies that have been especially negatively affected by lockdowns and restrictions, among them transportation, lodging, bars and restaurants, amusement parks, gaming, cruise lines, sports and motion picture enterprises, furniture and home furnishings, and -and brick-and-mortar retail trade. Now let's discuss the second C, competition in the political realm. The word competition derives from the Latin words com meaning with and pedo meaning I seek, I aim for, I strive for. Most assuredly, in a democracy, the political realm represents many noble and also ignoble forms and elements of competition, competing claims, visions, narratives, ideas, motivations, philosophies, policies, people, interpretations, styles, objectives, coalitions, tactics, and at times, one might say even competing views of human nature. The 2020 election. Virtually all forms of public and social media have in some fashion reported on and in many cases actually participated in the 2020 national election process. Two, the investment world has been replete with a meaningfully large quantity of analyses, scenarios, percentage probabilities, opinions, and hypothetical outcomes. The coronavirus wave and the massive monetary and fiscal policy response aimed at countering the severe economic dislocations associated with the pandemic, have managed to insert new elements into this year's polling, involving and elevating, among other issues, absentee ballot processing, absentee ballot counting, and possible legal, judicial, and societal reactions to disputed results. Demographic Considerations An important additional feature of this year's elections is demographic in nature. This year represents the first national election in which the electorate will be dominated, 40% of the total, by cohorts younger than 40 years of age. The chart provided in the original commentary shows the generally accepted definitions of the five generational cohorts in America, their span of birth years, and their age ranges as of 2019. Not shown in the chart provided in the original commentary are the 1.7 million heroic members of the greatest generation born before 1928, and the 28 million children in the post-Generation Z cohort, born since 2012. The under-40 population includes the millennials, numbering 72 million and ranging in age between 23 and 38. The first two birth years for members of Generation X, numbering 65 million and ranging in age between 39 and 54. Not yet encompassing the 67 million members of Generation Z, born between 1997 and 2012, the chart provided in the original commentary shows the current and projected populations for these two generations, 
as well as for the baby boomers, also numbering 72 million and ranging in age between 55 and 73, and the silent generation numbering 23 million and ranging in age between 74 and 91. For the first time as of July 2019, more than half of Americans were members of the millennial, Generation Z, and younger generations, numbering 166 million or 50.7% of the nation's population, larger than the 49.3% of the population, 162 million associated with the combined Generation X, baby boomers, and older cohorts. Voting patterns and preferences of younger voters are expected to reflect their reactions to the hardships and challenges brought on by, among other factors, the 2008 financial crisis, the coronavirus pandemic, and significant levels of student indebtedness. The electoral process. At this stage, it might be said that America's national polity, and no doubt a goodly number of the participants themselves, would like the process to be over and to produce an incontrovertibly decisive result. For well over a year, the citizenry has been deluged with news of political action committees, caucuses, primaries, conventions, policy platforms, campaign contributions, running mate vetting and selection, political advertisements, polls, betting markets, rallies, debates, town halls, endorsements, opposition research, revelations, voter registration, and ballot harvesting, among many other elements. And, given the surge in mail-in voting and potential difficulties surrounding mail-in ballot counting, much discussion has centered on the possibility for indecisive, disputed, and legally challenged election results on November 3rd and thereafter. Each state has six weeks from November 3rd to December 14th when the Electoral College meets to determine the winner of its electoral votes. By the end of December 14th, the Electoral College is disbanded whether or not the required 270-vote threshold has been met by one of the candidates. And on January 6th, both houses of the new 117th Congress meet to declare the official outcome of the electoral vote count. It is worth keeping in mind that the potential exists for legal, judicial, political, and even societal complications to affect the sequence and substance of the electoral process. If the Electoral College fails to produce a candidate with a simple majority of accepted electoral votes, a contingent election takes place in the House of Representatives, with many steps and conditions involved to either produce a winner or to conduct sufficient rounds of House voting to determine a winner. Suffice it to say that if a clear and undisputed winner is not known by November 3rd or shortly thereafter, numerous known unknowns and quite a few unknown unknowns could very well influence investor psychology and thus financial asset prices. While it is hoped that circumstances do not come to this, investors should be prepared for the possibility, however small, of occurrences and the reporting thereof to approach or even exceed the events associated with one of the most contentious and controversial presidential elections in American history, the 23rd Quadrennial Presidential Election held on Tuesday, November 7, 1876, between Republican Ruther B. Hayes and Democrat Samuel J. Tilden. Outcomes and Implications At the risk of oversimplification, Without delving into the crucially important aspects of how the voting turns out for the White House, the Senate, 
currently comprised of 53 Republicans, 45 Democrats, and two Independents, Bernie Sanders of Vermont and Angus King of Maine, who caucus with the Democrats, and the House of Representatives, currently comprised of 232 Democrats, 197 Republicans, one Libertarian, and five vacancies. Among the potential outcomes are 1. A blue wave, in which Democrats win control of the White House, the House of Representatives, and the Senate. 2. A blue tide, in which Democrats win control of the White House and the House of Representatives, with Republicans maintaining control of the Senate. 3. A red tide, in which Republicans win control of the White House and the Senate, with the Democrats maintaining control of the House of Representatives. And 4. A red wave, in which Republicans win control of the White House, the Senate, and the House of Representatives. We have set forth some highly simplified shorthand views of possible outcomes and implications associated with an electoral victory by Vice President Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., JRB, or by President Donald John Trump, DJT. In a considerable number of instances, the candidates' potential policies have not yet been expressed with a high degree of specificity and very well may change following the election. Continuing Fiscal Support Without taking into account the longer-term effects of continuing a significant level of fiscal stimulus, and thus very large federal government deficits on GDP growth, taxes, interest rates, and the U.S. dollar's currency exchange rate, it appears that both JRB and DJT are in favor of such measures. Any inter- and intra-party divided political power in Congress could delay or reduce the size of fiscal stimulus. Spending with proposed spending increases amounting to $7 trillion over a decade, JRB favors entitlement expansion, health care, climate and green infrastructure initiatives to accelerate the use of clean energy in the power sector, building construction and transit, hiking the minimum hourly wage to $15, which could support household incomes and augment growth in consumption, housing, education, and infrastructure. DJT favors increasing the defense budget, including military air programs, the naval fleet, and weaponry systems, assistance to veterans, infrastructure, space exploration, and increased school and health care choice. Both candidates have expressed support for drug price reforms. Taxation. With some delays and or dilutions, Higher corporate, payroll, income, capital gains, and estate taxes are likely for many taxpayers under JRB. The proposed levies amount to $4 trillion, with something in the neighborhood of half that amount likely to be passed. DJT appears to favor delivering permanence to the individual tax cuts and possibly reducing the corporate income tax rate even further to increase American companies' global competitiveness. Divided political power in Congress would likely limit the extent of any changes in tax policy. And an important consideration to be kept in mind is the effective date of any tax increases, including possible retroactivity to January 1, 2021. Regulation Through job appointments, executive action, and legislation where feasible, a JRB administration may involve increased restraints on the financial sector and some portions of the healthcare sector. Greater antitrust and market dominance scrutiny might also be applied toward mega-cap technology and social media companies. Statements by JRB indicate that his administration might limit pipeline approvals and curtail drilling activity on federal lands. A DJT win might lead to his continued support of loosened regulations for the energy industry and expediting the permitting process for new infrastructure. Relations with the Judiciary 
JRB may favor certain proposals from within his party to curtail the Supreme Court's authority over specific laws by attempting to 1. Impose term limits 2. Expand the size of the court or 3. Through legislative action, divest the court of its authority over contentious social issues, referred to in academic circles as jurisdiction stripping. Any proposed limitation of its own powers would very likely spark intense and determined pushback via lawsuits by the Supreme Court and battling parties on either side of the issues involved. Foreign Affairs With increased wariness, each candidate would likely continue the recalibration of America's relations with China. JRB may very well support realignments with allied nations and an array of multilateral approaches, such as the World Health Organization and the Paris Climate Agreement, with DJT continuing to favor bilateral relations and negotiations. JRB might restart negotiations with Iran, allowing the full or partial lifting of U.S. sanctions on Iranian oil exports, with greater supplies of oil from that country into global energy markets possibly leading to softness in world oil prices equity sectors. A JRB mandate would be generally viewed as favorable to large managed care organizations, renewable energy firms, consumer finance companies, money center banks, and unfavorable to pharmaceuticals, telecommunications companies, asset managers, tobacco, and energy. A large stimulus package initiated by either JRB or DJT should give a boost to construction companies, small and mid-cap equities, and value-oriented sectors. A mandate for DJT would be generally viewed as favorable to pharmaceuticals, telecommunications companies, asset managers, tobacco, and energy. Let us remember the lyrics by Catherine Lee Bates and music by Samuel A. Ward of America the Beautiful. O beautiful for spacious skies, for amber waves of grain, for purple mountain majesties above the fruited plain. America, America, God shed his grace on thee, and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. This next section discusses the last sea, China and its relationship with U.S. The Chinese economy appears to be well on its way to recovering from the coronavirus slowdown. On a year-over-year basis after declining negative 6.8% in first quarter 2020 and increasing positive 3.2% in second quarter 2020, China's GDP rose positive 4.9% in third quarter 2020. According to an October forecast from the International Monetary Fund, after expanding positive 6.1% in 2019, China's GDP is forecast to grow positive 1.9% in 2020 and positive 8.2% in 2021. Recent data appear to confirm this trend. 1. September retail sales rose positive 3.3% year-over-year, the second monthly increase of 2020, and automobile sales have registered a full quarter of growth for the first time in two years. 2. September imports rose positive 12.2% year-over-year, and exports rose positive 9.9% year-over-year, the fourth consecutive monthly increase. 3. September industrial production rose positive 6.9% year-over-year, the largest gain since December 2019. 4. January-September fixed asset investment rose positive 0.8% year-over-year, an improvement over the January-August reading of negative 0.3% year-over-year, and 5. As shown in the chart in the original commentary, reflecting improved economic activity in China, the Baltic Exchange Dry Index reflecting not only the supply of and demand for dry bulk carrier vessels, but also for shipping freight rates covering the oceanic 
transport of coal, iron ore, grain, and construction materials has rallied substantially since March 2020 and even at its October 20th closing level of 1,409 was up positive 29.3% year-to-date. Partially reflecting GDP growth differentials between China and the United States, as well as the greater degree of monetary policy ease in the U.S., the yield spread between Chinese government 10-year bonds and the U.S. Treasury 10-year bonds has widened considerably over the past 21 months, from 0.5% in January 2019 to 2.52% in mid-October. The path of this China minus U.S. 10-year government bond yield margin is shown in the chart provided in the original commentary. Since the beginning of 2017, the Chinese renminbi has been range-bound, moving no more than 4% upward or downward against a trade-weighted basket of currencies utilized by the People's Bank of China. As of October 20th, the Chinese renminbi had appreciated positive 4.1% year-to-date against the U.S. dollar. Attracted by these yields and to some degree by relative currency stability, within the limitations established by the Chinese financial regulatory regime, foreign investors have been purchasing Chinese government bonds. On October 15th, China's finance ministry raised $6 billion in an international bond sale, targeted in part at investors in America. In contrast to the ongoing level of detente and interconnectivity between China and the United States in the financial sector, Relations have been less smooth in other areas. Against a backdrop of growing distrust of China in several democratic countries, including Japan, Australia, India, South Korea, Canada, Germany, Italy, and other European nations, the U.S.-China relationship has continued to deteriorate and has been marked by technological competition, competitive language, unreliable entities lists, expulsion of journalists by both sides, wary attitudes, and increasingly explicit negative views. Mutual sanctions and visa bans have been imposed on senior officials, consulates have been forced to close, and caustic rhetoric has been exchanged over trade, human rights, the South China Sea, Hong Kong, Xinjiang province, and Taiwan, among other sensitive topics. Such a fraught state of relations increases the risk of asset price affecting trade, financial, or geopolitical shocks thus calling for allocations to some minimal level of assets with value-holding power and a judicious amount of liquid reserves that can be deployed to purchase high-quality assets should they experience price declines. As mentioned earlier, numerous media reports have predicted that a second presidential term for Donald J. Trump would feature the continuation of hawkish unilateral policies, whereas a Joseph R. Biden Jr. presidency might involve interaction through a wider scope of platforms and channels that are multilateral in nature, such as the Paris Climate Agreement and the World Health Organization. In the months ahead, the evolution of America's views of and stance toward the channels and means of cooperating with and or confronting China across a broad spectrum of issues can be expected to significantly affect the operations, profitability, and securities prices of a meaningful number of U.S. and Chinese multinational companies, particularly for large capitalization enterprises, with technology a particular area of focus. Now let's discuss portfolio positioning. 1. Intermediate-term themes to consider. We continue to counsel a considered and considerable exposure to equities, with judicious shifts between styles, sectors, geographies, and, where appropriate from a cost, timing, liquidity, and size standpoint, public versus private markets. Expressed are a number of themes that we believe should be taken into consideration over the intermediate term in selecting asset categories, 
asset classes, sectors, companies, and security types. 1. Paying attention to the value of money. Taking advantage of, rather than being taken advantage of by, the likelihood of money printing, internal and external currency debasement, government debt, monetization, and modern monetary theory being pursued by the authorities within shifting money and credit cycles to service massive explicit government and corporate indebtedness and the enormous implicit obligations of pension and healthcare promises. Two, concentrating on all weather sectors and companies, seeking investments with balance and flexibility that are able to thrive regardless of uncertain and altering political outcomes, social values, wealth distribution, public health and political trends and conditions. Three, distinguishing between temporary and permanent change, focusing on the commercial and financial implications of new power structures, alliances, and geopolitical relationships, new energy sources and resources, new trade patterns, new on- and offshoring channels, and new business models, pathways, digitalizations, and forms of person-to-person and business-to-business work, leisure, learning, and wellness. Four, taking advantage of demographic tailwinds through U.S. and select non-U.S. companies gaining exposure to and meeting the rising needs, aspirations, and spending power of the rapidly expanding global middle class, especially in Asia. Five, verifying past success, emphasizing companies and sectors that have demonstrated successful past experience in capital allocation, balance sheet strength, risk management, sustainably defendable business models, and the ability to generate high multi-year returns on equity derived from revenue growth and favorable margin preservation rather than through excessive leverage, meaningfully above weighted average cost of capital. And six, identifying innovative technology hegemons. Focusing on technology enablers and dominators in artificial intelligence, machine learning, 5G cellular network technology, the Internet of Things, biotechnology, robotics, quantum computing, battery and energy inventions, and electric vehicles. 2. Strategies and Tactics In the current environment and throughout its expected evolution over the next several years, we believe that particular thought, planning, and attention need to be devoted to the investor's most appropriate forms and vehicles for implementing the fundamental elements of asset allocation and investment strategy. 1. Diversification, which means having sustainably low and negatively correlated investment exposures that truly counterbalance price movements in other assets, particularly during times of great financial stress and or market volatility. 2. Rebalancing, which means using concepts of reversion to the mean to trim exposures to assets that have grown to represent too large a portion of the overall portfolio, while at the same time adding exposure to high-quality assets that have fallen out of investor favor and suffered significant, though likely permanent, price declines. 3. Risk Management Which means understanding the degree of liquidity, the true pricing realism, and the various roles of liquidity, real assets, financial assets, and alternative assets in decade-long or longer regimes of inflation, stagflation, deflation, monetary disruptions, and currency resets. 4. Reinvestment, which encompasses knowing when to emphasize and trade off income versus capital growth, while all the while keeping in mind the critical importance of discipline, patience, and longevity in compounding dividend, coupon, and other income flows, and 5. Asset protection and husbandry, which address considerations of taxation, estate planning, cybersecurity, monitoring, reporting, administrative costs, access, and custody.
3. Keeping things in perspective. Many of the overarching themes and conditions that influence our intermediate and long-term asset allocation and investment strategy emphasize the need to recognize the concepts and implementation methods intended to achieve safety, balance, diversification, and liquidity are likely to face evolving social priorities, geopolitical power relationships, price level changes, demographic trends, indebtedness levels, technological pervasiveness, and not least, the definition, role, degree of physicality, embodiment, and value of money itself. Some observations on the current environment and conditions expected in the period ahead are set forth in the sections that follow. 4. Enhancing and Preserving While we do feel some persistent unease over the apparent disconnect between, on the one hand, the growing mainstream popularity of stocks associated with the rapid recovery in U.S. equity prices, and, on the other hand, the continued uncertain economic and post-election outlook. Our short-term inclination at this point in time is to take note of the Federal Reserve's ongoing support of financial asset prices, while taking advantage of such strength to upgrade the quality of portfolio holdings. 1. Jettisoning lower-quality, higher-risk assets. 2. Selectively carrying some cash-like liquidity. and 3. With timing restraint and price discipline, adding to attractively priced, higher-quality assets on equity market pullbacks. 5. Equity Emphasis and De-Emphasis Particularly in the current conditions of very low U.S. Treasury interest rates, and given the likelihood of sizable post-election government spending initiatives, to us it appears likely that cash-generating, financially stable companies with robust growth prospects which are able to operate and thrive in the digital sphere as they continue to enhance their business models, should retain a valuation premium. Within equities, one, we continue to recommend shifting some emphasis from growth sectors companies and managers towards the moderate inclusion of some value sectors companies and managers. Two, we continue to counsel modestly adding small and mid-cap companies or investment managers specializing in and with good track records in this space, to our primary emphasis on large capitalization enterprises, and three, for the time being, we continue to prefer a tactical overweighting to U.S. domestic equities over international developed and emerging market stocks. Six, focus on strength and quality. Our long-term equity portfolio weightings continue to emphasize asset manager sectors and specific companies that can benefit from the major sustained trends of the 2020 decade, including one, incremental growth in a wide range of economic circumstances. Two, a focus on economic repair, digitalization, e-commerce, personal wellness, safety, domesticity, home improvement, infrastructure spending, and where possible, the release of pent-up consumer demand, and three, advantageous capture of benefits from onshoring, supply chain redesign, and deglobalization as important drivers of capital spending and disruptive innovation. At the company level in equities, we reiterate our emphasis in the point on identifying and building long-term exposure to firms possessing fortress-like, cash-rich balance sheets, limited debt, positive free cash flow generation, dividend strength, and competitive business models that over a long time frame can generate high returns on equity through revenue growth and tenable profit margins rather than through excessive levels of leverage. 7. Balancing Growth and Value Sectors On a year-to-date basis through Monday, October 19th, the iShares Russell 1000 Growth ETF, symbol IWF, 
and including companies in sectors such as technology, healthcare, and communication services, had returned positive 26%, as per the Wall Street Journal, while the iShares Russell 1000 value ETF, symbol IWD, and including companies in sectors such as financial, real estate, energy, utility, and industrial companies, had returned negative 10.8%, as per the Wall Street Journal. This 36.8 percentage point growth minus value returns differential has widened by a further 2 percentage points from among the already historically widest such divergences in more than three decades. Cited in our September monthly commentary, and to us appears to argue for considering some piecemeal, prudent reallocation from selected growth sectors, companies, and managers into selected value sectors, companies, and managers. 8. Fixed Income Securities We affirm our predilection for issuers at the high-quality end of the rating spectrum, both in investment grade and in high-yield bonds, in taxable and tax-exempt bonds, where we continue to see some areas of value on a taxable equivalent basis. We prefer maturities and durations along the short to intermediate portion of the yield curve spectrum. 9. U.S. Dollar Outlook After declining negative 7.4%, in 2017, appreciating positive 4.3% in 2018 and marginally slipping negative 0.2% in 2019, the DXY US dollar index measured versus a basket of six major currencies the euro, Japanese yen, Swedish krona, British pound, Canadian dollar, and Swiss franc had, as of the market close on October 19th, declined negative 3.6% year to date following the U.S. dollar's strength in first quarter 2020 as a safe haven flight to quality asset during the pandemic and lockdown-induced global financial market turbulence earlier this year. The DXY index had gained fully positive 6.7% year-to-date as of March 20th. We believe the U.S. dollar may continue on its gradual path of weakness as, due primarily to the Federal Reserve's stated preference for lower yields in the United States, The U.S. dollar's income-generating advantage is likely to remain considerably lower versus other major currencies than it has been over the recent past. 10. Alternative Investments and Real Assets In alternative investments, we continue our multi-quarter focus that has for some time emphasized exposure to gold and or gold mining shares ETFs high-quality master-limited partnerships with strong business models and sustainable dividend-paying capacity, select investments in private credit and private real estate, and opportunistic strategies that are positioned to selectively derive meaningful value from the dislocations created by the coronavirus pandemic and the initially strong and now moderating recovery therefrom. This concludes our October Market Commentary by David M. Darst. David is Americana Partners' Chief Investment Officer. We are available to answer questions you may have regarding the topics discussed. If you'd like a full copy of the report, please visit our website at www.americanapartners.com and request to join our distribution list. Thank you for listening. This is Melissa Giles, Portfolio Manager with Americana Partners. Stay invested.